Righto, Muddy Miners. Jeez, two weeks to go. What have we got today, boys? We've got more REM report strikes from the mining services divisions. Yeah, couldn't leave them out. Oh, and uh, Greenbushes and Mount Marion getting hit by the new IRA rules for Chinese project ownership. What have we got? We've got Arafura Financing, Sayona's AGM, GR Engineering on K92. Jeez, don't give me a bloody bait to start talking Papua New Guinea, boys. <laughs> Go, I will go off on a tangent. <laughs> Mate, Line Town with Port Solution. Mate, she's all happening. You know what else is bloody happening this week? Our event, mate. Good. I'm glad you knew that because <laughs> you're integral to the whole thing. Oh, what a sellout. Mate, we're up there with sort of Ed Shearer and Carl Barron and Robbie Williams in terms of event sellout rates. Yeah, let's hope, go, hope it goes a bit better than Robbie Williams did. We well, are, oh, yeah, it was a shit fight to get in and out of there, I heard. That's what I heard as well. <laughs> so yeah. our, our event, for, for people that don't know, it's uh, it's this Thursday, I think it's 5 p.m. I think it's 5 p.m. at Golden West Brewery. Um, we're doing our first ever live show. We haven't planned any content yet. We should probably get to that Oh, yeah, yeah, today, we're getting boys. to that, the Savi. Um, but <laughs> rest assured, hopefully it goes okay. Worst case scenario, Maddie will just do some stand-up for everyone. Oh, yeah, we're speaking <laughs> of stand-up. We've got a special guest coming too. Hopefully his flight doesn't get delayed, but it's a big <laughs> Flying hitter. in specially it's for gonna, the show. It's going to be bloody well worth it. Uh, I hope so. Mate, can't, can't bloody wait yeah. to get on the source with the money miners. So it's a, it's <sighs> a sellout, Maddie. That is except for two tickets. So Ali GC has put together a bit of a social media plan for how we give away these last two tickets, and um, this is her wicked idea. Right, come, come, come on over, GC. Come and present it yourself. <laughs> I'll, I'll just intro, I'll intro her first. So Ali's a big Instagram user, right? Just hold there, mate. <laughs> She's a big Instagram user. Money Mine has a big LinkedIn following, a growing Twitter following, but a dismal Instagram following. So Ali has conjured up this plan to try and change that to match her own social media behaviour. Ali, come up, reveal the plan to give away these last Genius. two tickets. Genius, right on. JC, come on. Here we go. Thanks, Matthew. JC. <laughs> <laughs> Ali, back in the hot seat. Back in the hot seat. Tell us about this bloody plan you got. All right. So our Instagram following is abysmal. So mm. we're here to change that. We, we do. We need to change it. And so we're going to tempt people with tickets to our sold-out event. Would you call it bribery? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so my idea is, is this competition is going to be called My Dumb Trade. So you need to follow at Money of Mine Pod on Instagram and send us a DM on your dumb trade. So to give you an example, um, my dumbest trade was when I was a young corporate finance analyst <laughs> who had not much idea about mining and I thought... <laughs> Did you decide to give yourself a free bonus? <laughs> yeah, I thought... <laughs> I was going to come in with that. <laughs> I thought, should I give myself a free bonus? Dacian is trading on a really cheap EV per resource ounce multiple. I thought, this is too good to be true. They're basically a producer at that point in time. I thought, this is, this is great. It's like free money. <laughs> so... I put in my measly $3,000 order um, onto the screen, all very excited, and literally two business days later, the stock dropped 70% because their <laughs> ramp up failed and my $3,000 became less than 1000 And And uh, looking at the iris screen, I felt 
physically sick that I just <laughs> that money just evaporated, <laughs> and I thought, oh god, what have I done? Oh. And then, but probably what's dumbest about this trade is the stock actually did trade back up to those sort of mid to high dollar mm. um, prices. And did I think, shit, I've I'll make my money back and just get out? No, I held on until. Genesis took over Dacian and I got, I think, 90 Genesis shares. 90 Genesis shares. They hit $1.80 each right now. So Pretty much. So, which, <laughs> look, I've made a little... <laughs> yeah, you've lost money. Uh, I've lost a lot of money. So, <laughs> this is an example. We want to hear your dumb trades. Don't make it that long if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't make it too long because after I'll be having to read through all of these. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick the top three. We're going to read them out on the air. So if you're not comfortable with having it out on the air, don't send it to us. And the or other you can c- just make your name anonymous. Or you can make yep. your name anonymous. And first prize will get a double pass to our sold out event. And runners up will get a uh, a pack of Golden West Brewing, a uh, bit of a mixed bag for them. So Love even it. the runners up will get something. So comp will close. I'm gonna say close a business Wednesday. Love your work, Al. Awesome. We'll announce on Thursday. Cheers, Al. Cheers. Right, I want it now. That talk about a deal. What a deal. Why wouldn't you follow Instagram? <laughs> Not that I'll bloody look at it or anything anyway, but uh, it'll keep GC happy. Hey, we congr- better congratulate her on getting hitched too. We should. Oh, GC, round of applause from Money of Mine. <laughs> clap. Not hitched, but engaged. Hit. Oh, going to get hitched. Yes. So we're uh, demanding an invite to the wedding. Yeah, so in your, D- in your DM to Money of Mine, just say congratulate her. She's engaged. I, re- I reckon the, the big fella thought, oh, geez, this Money of Mine's going good. I want to. Better get in on the willy. <laughs> the, will. <laughs> the, the will or the... Or the <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully she doesn't die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, anyway, let's... T- <laughs> let's t- <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note. And these people we're about to yarn about are going to be at the event as well. The official sponsor of the event and now our newest partner of Money of Mine. Now, this mob are cool. Quite pertinent after the AGM season, boys. Uh, the a bit of a theme we noticed at some of the AGMs we went to. Oh, poor communications, bad. Couldn't get any answers from the MD. Like just we'd rather want to be more informed as shareholders. Trav, you probably you heard a lot of that. Didn't I did. You? I'm going to chime in a bit about it in a later segment, Maddie. But you're 100 right. You're on the money there. We present to you the investor, investor hub. Oh, we'll bring in the logo as I do it. Did you see that? It's uh oh this interesting. It's like it's not shaken up. It's shaking up investor relations, but it's not investor relations. It's investor software. So I guess it's given public companies the opportunity to like I guess engage with investors and harness the power of investors. So because if you harness the power of investors and they buy more stock stock goes up. That is how it works. <laughs> that is how. It's pure supply and demand. Simple as that. Because if – I suppose if you've got thousands of bloody shareholders and you're trying to have a relationship with each of them, trying to talk to them all the time, you don't – you pretty you get fuck all done during the day if you're just on the blower. So it's fine – 
this is a way for them to, I guess, what would you say, streamline shareholder communications with the companies. To be clear, the, the, the problem that Investor Hub is solving is not low share prices. That might be a second order effect that this uh, might, platform You might sells. get that too. Yeah. But this is, um, this is a really, really cool team who've um, built out a product that is like servicing you know, the, the companies in our industry to facilitate them to engage better with their shareholders by providing literally like a wicked software solution for people to ask questions about announcements and for the management to, to respond in a, in, a, in a public and disclosable way. It also gives the MDs and management teams really, really great insight on their registry, way better than you get from your actual, you know, um, computer share or whatever, because their platform ties directly in with the the, um, the share registries out there gets the data and you can get really granular insight on the on the shareholder dynamics, who's buying, who's selling, and, and you can ask the question why. Well, I think that – and this line here, Trav, you probably explained it well there. Registry Integrated Investor Customer Relations Management, CRM. I first read that and my typical response is, what the hell is that? <laughs> but what is that? That's what you're talking about. Yeah, most companies they have like – they just get these reports from Atomic or whatnot um, and it just aggregates shareholders and it – doesn't give you know great insight on what the patterns are. Um, a really really cool element of what Investor Hub are doing is it gives companies the ability to have granular insight at a per shareholder level by tapping into the APIs that these registries allow. Um, so there's just you know way way better information there that um, can I think just help help companies like communicate in a more transparent, clear way and also take in feedback based on whatever their communication strategies are. So you so, can so they can click on a shareholder that's sold stock and look at their history of when they've bought, sold, yep. and the whole pattern along yep. the way. Yep. So ultimately, it should make both the companies and the uh, the shareholders happier, you know. As a shareholder, you get more engagement. You get to hear what the management are trying to do. You can answer personalised questions. And then the management team, like we just outlined, they get much better info into what the shareholders are doing, you know, when they're selling, you know, you get insight into, you know, the announcements that they're not liking and so on. So it's a, a, a win-win from both sides. Oh, the interesting thing now, because we don't let any Tom, Dick and Harry come on and be a partner here, so we obviously- With a vetting uh, process. We've, we've uh, gone through this and it's very, a lot, we like, we only do shit we like. And I guess the ability to, in when announcements, like you can comment on the announcement, that comment gets within the investor hub of the companies that are using it. That comment gets sec sent directly to the MD, the MD as private, and the MD can respond- or, or CEO, respond and then choose to make it public or not. So obviously you send, oh, you fucking, why is your share price going to shit and stuff? I'm <laughs> sure that would be a private exchange. But if you're asking, like, what's your expected capital spend for the next 12 months, they can then choose to make that public. So it takes away – it's taken that sort of forum, mm. putting it inside something that's a bit more sophisticated and taking it away from f forums like Hot Copper, I, I guess, which where I guess MDs and that can't really engage without – it's a tricky thing. It's a, it's a tricky yeah. thing because it's not really moderated um, the way this is because the MD's got the power. So, But you can you can talk to them directly. They've got bloody update. They can regularly put update videos on of themselves talking and ex yeah. further expanding on yep. announcements. And it's, um, mate, pretty cool bloody platform. I like it. And then you've got a better chance of not ending up in the situation which we're going to talk about next. Mm, that's true. So, mate, they're going to be at the event. Say good day to them. Absolute GCs. They're sponsoring the event so everyone gets free beer. How good's that? There, mm. there you go. Rory's bloody – Rory's going to be there. Rory Stein. They don't call him Stein for nothing. <laughs> He's probably going to knock back a few. But um, Benny nah, Williamson, good. who is not Shooter Williamson, the uh, comedian, different, different 
He's, he's pretty funny, but he's pretty. Funny. He's pretty funny. <laughs> like, you might get him on stage to do an attempted shooter, Williams. But um, no, nah, say good day to him. If you're interested in the product, bloody follow the links in the show notes. Investor Hub. Cheers for coming on board, and uh, well, thanks for supporting us. But by that spiel. Geez, aren't we supporting them? What a, what a deal to be a money and <laughs> partner. What a privilege. Far out of bargain, I reckon. Right, boys, let's get on to some more REM reports. They were out early last week, but we thought that now that we, I guess, collated them all, there was a few interesting ones out of the mining services companies, the contractors um, that had their REM, REM reports voted down and got a strike, some that went close. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, Emico was the uh, the pick of the bunch, that mate, which you looked very, into. That was very interesting. So we'll let's we'll flash this one up on screen. So you look at from the proxy votes for the for the REM report and the approval of retirement benefits for and issue of uh, long term incentive plan rights for MD Ian Testro. The proxy votes were fourteen percent, yes, and eighty five percent no, but. At the voting at the AGM came in at fifty six percent. Yes, so that's a hundred and what is it? A hundred and thirty uh, million shares. Big swing based on proxies received versus the final vote, which of course includes yeah the votes at the meeting itself. And on you could deduce something from well, uh, that you, big sorry. swing, couldn't you, mate? Well, yeah. Well, uh, so sorry, it was a swing of one hundred and thirty four million shares, and the only shareholder that has close to that has that many. Shares is their major shareholder, Black Diamond Capital Management. It says they currently hold 187 million shares. So my guess is either they've not voted all their shares, which they can can do, can't they? They don't have to vote them all. Or Black Diamond have actually sold down some of their stake and not released a change in substantial yet. But the, the AGM presentation of Emico actually said um, was the existing shareholding number, which you would assume it would be if there's not a change in substantial gotcha. notice released yet. But, yeah, interesting that a major shareholder with that much would have voted swung, at the AGM. Swung the vote your, is your best guess, yeah. Mm, so anyway, so they've – he had the – Testro had the – Right, the long-term incentive rights and the retirement benefits approved because they got fifty-six percent. But because the REM report was fifty-six percent below the seventy-five, it that's a strike. Strike. <laughs> <laughs> what else we got, boys? Who else was in the strike territory? Yeah, we got a couple more while we're on the theme of mining services. So Parenti strike one, thirty-three percent of shareholders voting against. Now this one did happen a little while ago, but. Geez, we wouldn't want to leave them out of this. Mm. Uh, what have we got? NRW Holdings, strike two, 59% against. Yeah, so that's the first we've seen in this sort of reporting season for us with the second strike uh, against. Poseidon. Oh, Poseidon as well. Yeah. So that then goes to the conditional spill resolution, which in this case was voted down. Voted, mm. so as in? It's no spill. So no spill. No spill, mm, yeah. Now, is that do, question without notice, do the proxies vote for the conditional spill before the AGM not knowing the result of it? Correct. So they, they vote, say, yep. right, if that is not carried, then my Correct. vote will be that. Correct. Yep. Yeah, very That's interesting. Right. Uh, now, SRG Globals, theirs actually went through, luckily, because their REM report got voted down last year, but it got approved this year. So they uh, they hung on there. Um, that was about it, wasn't it? 
Any more down there? Bloody this iPad. Bloody getting used to this frigging thing. <laughs> that, that was it. I think the only other comment I'd make on these is often one way in which you can look at how these voting go, how this voting goes is it's really the sort of approval or, you know, not getting the approval of what shareholders think of the share price performance over the last 12 months as opposed to, you know, what's actually being voted for. And that, that sort of in part, you know, mining services has been in the in the doghouse for quite a while now, not just the last year, but hence you get a lot of unhappy shareholders. Mm, very, very interesting. Boy, uh, JD, this this info here reeks of your research. Sure you, does, mate. You're anything, anything bigger than WA mining, that's JD territory. I know it's come from you. Regulation is JD. Where'd you get your where, – what'd what you get up to in Jeez, your I, weekend, weekend reading, JD? I'd hate to be put in the regulation bucket, but I do find this fascinating, <laughs> Maddie. So what we're talking about here is the US IRA's Foreign Entity of Concern update. So they've finally come out and said what a foreign entity of concern really means. And why I think this matters to the money miners is that this goes into effect next year, so in less than one month's time. And this IRA, why it's all come about, the meaning of it, why the uh, the Biden administration put it into effect a bit over a year ago, is that they really want to see a pickup in the EV adoption across the country, as well as de-China and, you know, de-foreign entity of concern, the supply chains that they have. So, you know, you might have heard us talk about these $7,500 tax credits that people can get for buying certain EVs. That's what we're all talking about here. So from 2024, the restrictions will apply to battery components. And then from 2025, that'll include the suppliers of battery raw materials. So is that, is that battery components just for EVs? It's not like a, not a phone battery or anything. It's just, this is specific to EV batteries. This is for EVs at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So it remains to be seen which specific cars and, you know, from one automaker, there could be various cars that qualify and don't qualify depending on where they're built. It remains to be seen. We'll get into that a bit later on, but here are the rules regarding the foreign entity of concern. So they're talking about four nations specifically, and that's what they call a covered nation. So they are China, North Korea, Iran, and Russia. Now, any company- Great holiday destinations. Eh? <laughs> any company that's owned at least 25% by a covered nation's government authority doesn't pass the test. All production inside any of these countries doesn't pass the test. So the huge one there obviously being China. As well as this is an interesting one, companies that are licensing IP from a country, say in China- They'll have to, you know, show that the specific rights are held by them and not the foreign entity of concern. So an example of that would be Ford are doing a partnership with cattle for a plant in Michigan in America. Now they're going to have to go through a, you know, quite a detailed test showing that they are the ones that own it, operate it and reap the majority of the benefits and that, you know, the, the Chinese ownership is quite limited in that. Mm, interesting. There's another element which is quite important to the whole act. And now it's these trace materials. They're exempt until 2026. So what they say, the Treasury in America, is that these only account for about 2% of the value of the batteries. But these are, you know, they don't go into the detail, but I'm assuming these are things like gallium or germanium, these sort of niche things. They don't make up a lot of the value, but they're vitally important to how these batteries work. So it's not not the quantity, it's the cost of 2% of the cost of what's gone in. Yeah, they, they use the word value when talking about that. So assumed it was cost, but there yeah. wasn't great detail provided on that. 
As a side note, we'd spoken with um, Todd Milan about Indonesia. Now, that didn't go ahead. Indonesia's nickel predominantly won't be permitted to receive any uh, benefits from the IRA. God, they doesn't Aussie nickel need every help it can get at the moment. And sure that does. Is, that is one part of it. Yeah, so. there will be a few happy Aussie nickel producers or developers at the moment. So this, all this that I've just stated is going to be open to public comment before it gets put into place on January 1st. Now, why this is so important, I've touched on, you know, China there. China makes 70% of the world's battery cells, 57% of all EVs in the world come from China, as well as 65% of all the world's battery components. So, you know, there's no secret. We've spoken about that a bunch in the past, but it really does limit the total amount of cars that are going to be available to receive these benefits. So is that going to then hopefully increase expansion for the non for the IRA compliant because there would be more demand for IRA compliant EVs because as you said there's going to be a lot less available to get the credits is that is that that's obviously one of the aims of it yeah the, the aim is to incentivize more production within the US so yeah. companies on the edge you know automakers GM for these types of companies who are thinking do I build this plant in Mexico do I build it in the USA, do I source the plant, the, the parts from China? They might be more incentivized because of these benefits that they can receive to do it in the US. So there was a quote that stood out from the Alliance of Automotive Innovation Industry Head. So that's a association for the auto industry in which all US car makers are a part of. And he said, we don't yet know how the FOEC rules will impact which EVs apply. Time will tell. But only about 20 vehicles qualify now out of 103 vehicles on offer in the United States. So what impact does this have on, I guess, Chinese partnerships we see in Australia right now? So the ones so with... So Tianchi, Ganfan with um, Greenbushes and Mount Marion, like how, what's the effect there? So raw materials, that'll go into effect in 2025. And the yeah. examples you just get, they won't qualify because they have more than 25% ownership by Chinese groups. So there, there'll be a few others. And on the flip side of that, you have groups like Liontown, Pilbara, who they'll need to go through their registers and make sure uh, accumulatively, on a cumulative basis, not more than 25% of the register is Chinese owned, which I wouldn't assume it is, as well as make sure the product is not being sold into China, which I also think they're trying to avoid with, you know, Tesla, Ford being the off-take partners in Lion Town's example. Um, JD, you fuck, doesn't he, does he impress you sometimes, Trav? Every with day, some of these daily segments? Oh, <laughs> Put it away, I'm, lads. <laughs> I love not having to read any of this shit because I know JD's <laughs> going to do it for me. Oh, right, Trav, what you've, else? you've done a dive into Arafura. they got a financing, a, uh, you know, interestingly worded financing agreement, a letter of intent today. They do indeed. Arafura... Rare Earths were developing the Nolans project in the Northern Territory came out today with a, a letter of intent from the Export-Import Bank of Korea for up to US $150 million in debt finance. So the share price is up 5% today on the news and that letter of intent is linked to Arafura's offtake with Hyundai and Kia, both South Korean car manufacturers, announced last month. Matty, I've just got to say, can you tell that Trav's done all this setup 
the officer's looking schmeek just so he can sit back. Yeah, I know. And that's what, and I've ta- did you see <laughs> I've taken it on? He's got to drop him back. They're fucking they're elbows up. I wanted Spinning to be casual. Arm. That was fine. He's got the, the stand, <laughs> the movable arm, yeah, everything. Just love your work. Love it. Sorry to interrupt, Trev. No yeah. worries at all. <laughs> Jesus, that's how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of um, a bit of background on the, the Nolans project for those unfamiliar. Uh, it's located 135 kilometres north of Alice Springs, i.e. in the in the middle but of Australia. Fuck nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Technical um, term for they're, it. <laughs> they're planned to develop it. It's it's you know it's super integrated. Auto-oxides all happening on site. So there's like benefication, hydromet, like all all these sort of different um, parts of a, of for, a, of a forced plan. by geography. Yeah, <laughs> but potentially, uh, potentially. Uh, I mean, I, mean they, I think they could have done some of the separation. Like stage, you know, at a at Darwin, for example. But for whatever reason, their, their plan is um to do it very remote. Capital cost, including contingents, including the contingency, um, is currently penned at Aussie one point six billion dollars. So and that was a while ago. Yeah, when was, that number came out. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I mean, it's a big, big task to get this project financed, given our fear of the company is capped at four hundred twenty-two million dollars. In the last nine months, the share prices unfortunately come off seventy percent for Arafura as they, you know, pretty challenged by this whole complicated financing process. And if you look at um, their financing strategy, it consists at the moment of a bunch of letters of support from various concessional finance entities. I'm talking EFA, NAIF, Export Development Canada, German ECA, etc. Now you've got this this Korean piece as well. Nothing from Gina, <laughs> as because Gina's a shareholder. She's a, she's no, a shareholder. No letter of intent. No uh, indication she's going to not on the front up 1.6. Not on the debt. So 1600 bucks. Yeah. I mean, she might follow her money on the on the equity piece, which which sort of you know could form a part of it. But um, yeah, not not on the debt side at this stage. All up though. The quantums disclosed add up to a, a meaningful portion of the the pen capex, but none of those letters of support have materialised into anything you can hang your hat on as a sure thing yet. And my suspicion is that it's quite challenging in the DD process for financiers to get comfortable with uh, the financing at this stage. There's a bunch of reasons for this, including firstly, like the supply chain remains inexorably linked to China. Uh, even when the ex-China autos want the product. I mean, if, if anyone wants to do a bit of a deep dive on this, you should check out Kingsley Jones's article in Livewire that goes deep on Linus' supply chain and, and finds that, you know. He's done the deep dive for you. Yeah, right? <laughs> even, in the, even in the case of Linus where, um, you know, Japan is, is uh, a huge financier and part of the, the, the reason Linus got up in the first place. In some way, the product still has to detour via China. Mm. Um, and that can be a challenge from in the financing perspective. Second point is, the banks and financiers do lack technical expertise to evaluate these sort of things properly, especially because it's a niche commodity. The third one is financiers often require like downside protection in the offtake. So they, they need like a floor price in these offtake agreements. Um, but, you know, it's pretty tricky to achieve a floor price in these offtake agreements when the offtake parties often these Chinese entities and markets opaque, et cetera. And the fourth one, um, you know, it's an integrated and remote plant. So, like, think of the, the 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 challenge in overcoming that perceived compounded technical risk that comes with the the vertical integration. There, I think we just continue to watch it with mm. interest, nonetheless. Is this and following on from your piece, JD? Like this, I guess this ruling is this going to see a lot of things like this with Chinese involvement? Like, it's really putting a lot of things up in the air of how things are going to be financed and ownerships and things down. It's put it going to put a lot of 
It's a it's a big added constraint. Well, I think in the case... Oh, sorry to cut you off, Jada. You can go. I, just absolutely, mate. I mean, mm. Rare Earths is a particularly interesting example because so much of the whole chain is dominated by China. And in the case of Arafura, like in some ways, them and projects like them are, are going to be beneficiaries of of the foreign entities of concern piece of the IRA because Arafura is not doesn't have the the threshold Chinese ownership of the company level. Sure, the supply chain is linked, but that's different to um, to the fact that, I mean, the raw material is coming out of Australia. It might, at the margin, make financing this sort of thing a bit more achievable, but there are still plenty of barriers to, to this project getting financed at so, stage. But at the moment, not much of the processing is done ex-China, so they'll have to, you know, they'll have someone somewhere will have to build up that capacity in a non-FEOC country Yep. For, for it to apply. So with, okay, with, say, Pilbara Minerals and Town, so they're, just going back to yours, JD, even though it's all the raw materials that come from Australia, but if it's downstream processed in China, how, what effect does that have? There's a value add test. So it's basically like in the in the IRA, what it sets out is like um, there are these thresholds that scale in over time, which measure how much of the value add has occurred in these aligned jurisdictions versus non-aligned and, and as a result of whatever those percentages are, you are increasingly eligible for this subsidy. Yep, gotcha. God, it's hard to, when yeah. I'm looking at you, Travel, get that background there. Yeah. It's like I'm on the mushies or something. <laughs> it's like, oh, ooh, it's like it's, you can't stare at it too long. I'll get all dizzy. So if I look like I'm not paying attention, it's because I'm tripping. So, anyway, right, yeah. let's get let's head over to Papua New Guinea. What a thriving district for mining. It's K92. Really capturing my attention. Mm. Uh, mate, GR Engineering, so they're locked in an EPC contract with K92 for a 1.2 million tonne plant. Uh, so this K92, so they're TSX listed and they've got the the K92. I wonder that's where the K92 thing come from. It must have. K92 gold mine in PNG. So bloody good. I love, mate, <laughs> great fans of rugby league PNG. I like them. Absol- <laughs> absolute rugby league mad over there. That's why you love the country. Mm, 1.4 billion Canadian there, Cap. So this is uh, pretty high-grade stuff. So last mm. quarter, K92, they produced 22,000 ounces of gold and 809 tonnes of copper at a head grade. So the, the head grade for the previous three quarters combined averages 8.7 grams per tonne. So very, very high grade. You rarely, rarely mm. see things like that. The, so, the, the yeah. thing that's so interesting about this, Maddie, is like you said, they were capped at one point. Four billion Canadian. What do they pay for this thing? Well, they got the asset off Barrick in 2014. So, because that's when Barrick was sort of undergoing this corporate rationalisation about non-core assets. I think that's when they sold all their Kanana Bell, Plutonic, all of that uh, yep. to Northern Star yep. and Granny. Was it Granny Smith? Um, Wur- no, not Warunga, but yeah, Granny Smith A and. Bunch. To yeah. sold them to Goldfields, um, so yeah, that's when they all that was happening. So they sold the this mine, the K92 mine, for two million bucks up front to <laughs> K92, and then they could they could make up to an additional sixty million dollars in future payments to Barrick if certain milestones are reached. So that wow. was such as producing more than a million ounces of gold over the next nine years. So there was this yeah. there was this contingent. Payment and that sixty million was like it was a pretty big overhang on K92. But then in 
2019. So what's that? Five years later. I think they got it back into a production in 2016. Yeah. Because Barrick put it on care and maintenance, I think, in 2008. Yeah. So then in 2019, there was this amended contingency payment agreement where K92 only had to pay Barrick US 12.5 million. So gotcha. it's about under a quarter of what they so that were supposed to pay. So they've the, actually spent 14.5 million on an asset that. Is, you know, now their sole asset in it. Yeah, exa exactly. So, so look, and it said, here was a quote from it. The amendment agreement also reflects the commitment that both companies have to Papua New Guinea and the growth of its mining industry, which will benefit from our exploration activities and the expansion of the K-92 mine. So you can read into that because in 20, that was 2019. Remember in 2020, Barrick, uh, PNG didn't renew the mining license for Porgra, for Barrick. So yeah. I guess were, were Barrick trying to keep a posit positive relationship in the lead up to that for PNG? Because obviously if they reduced what k 2 had to pay, k 2 could then expand and provide um, a bigger mine and more employment. But it was to no avail because they didn't renew the mining licence. But that's about to start up again, Porgra. Is um, it? Apparently, well, it said in August they were talking about the restart was imminent because they changed the ownership structure. So, because um, PNG only had 5% of Porgra originally. So now they own 51% of Porgra yeah. and Barrick 49. But yeah. they get get they 53% get of the profits. So oh, okay. It's like you own 51, but gotcha. you just get 53 anyway. So it's all good. It's been a real success story, like, K92 or K92, despite the 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 struggles in PNG. I mean, you spoke about Porgra there, but I remember Geo Pacific earlier, and oh, I think it might have been last year as well. Like it's just been a real tricky place, Wafi Golpu, which is just mm. yeah, also tough. Yeah, it just and it shows that where the where the difficulty is is where the high grade is. Speaking, of, I've got a quiz for you. Speaking of high grade. Porgra, they produced 1.2 million ounces in 1991. Just that must have been just after it started. Yeah. What was the head grade? Oh, is, was it open pit when it started? Oh, yeah, must have been. been. Yeah, uh, yeah. sixty-four grams per ton going through the mill. That's amazing. Sixty-four. I think the year though before was fifty-six. It's obviously not that now, but Jesus Christ! No wonder they produce so many bloody ounces to start with. That's amazing. Anyway, let's get back to K nine two. When uh, anyway, I just wanted to get that out. You know, <laughs> went on a bit of a rabbit hole, mate. So, what is it? Contract is for eighty-one US bucks. So, <laughs> what's that? Bloody hundred and twenty-one bucks Australia for uh, in Aussie dollars. So, yeah. GR, GR engineer and heading to the bloody wild PNG. Mm. Kicking off early next year. So K92 there, as we've sort of alluded to, they're already producing. Midpoint of their 23 guidance was 114,000 ounces. And, you know, you, you talked about high-grade projects over there, Maddie. They've got a 5.4 million ounce resource at 9.4 grams per tonne. Mm. I, and, think, I think the highlight, the news article back then, I think it was when they sold it was like, is this going to be or whatever it was? It was pretty much saying, "Is this is Barrett has Barrick let go a bloody grade asset here?" So it probably <laughs> didn't suit their scale, maybe. But no, the fact they got five point four million ounces at nine point four, I'm sure it would be. So and imagine some sort of exploration success was had in the. I think they hit know, a shitload the, after they exactly they, they, they put they put in. A, oh, I'm going to use the word wrong, but it was either an exploration decline or something that helped them drill it more, drill it out more, and then they discovered this really. Really, really juicy high-grade high stuff. Oh, juicy. And just on the GR front, if you look at their mineral processing 
pipeline. They've got BHB's West Musgrave, which they're building, Evo's Mungari Growth Project, Hastings' Yangabana Beneficiation Plant, and then they've also got the uh, the various contracts in their energy part of the business. Mm, mostly always been known for the, the gold the gold plants, but obviously diversified. Well, gold, mm. which gold plant's getting built at the moment, you know? It's mm. just, um, yeah, the, the market needs success from the existing gold developers, I think, before it's there to finance anything new. It's all gold restart yeah. studies. Yeah. So now right. they're doing rare earths and Papua New Guinea. Yeah. What are, okay, Sayona AGM. Boys, what happened here? Well, Maddie, on the, week, on the weekend, um, I listened to the Sayon AGM. I think the actual AGM was on the Friday, but I, I, I listened to a recorded version of it on on my on the Saturday morning. Mate, talk about dedication to the money miners. <laughs> I one Trav lists AGMs on the weekend, <laughs> and two when I got back to pick the car up after the Christmas pageant the other <laughs> night, he's in the office at nine thirty. I thought we'd been broken into in the office at nine thirty doing Renault. So that is dedication. Ricciardo is not in Northbridge having a good time. He's working for the money miners. <laughs> We're bootstrap startup, mate. Got to got to put some sweat equity into it. Yeah, good work, <laughs> mate. Thanks for doing it for me. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I listened to the AGM and, and I, I thought it would be an interesting one to, to, to listen to just cause there's a few things going on at Sayona and this is why I was interested. One is huge retail following of that stock it once had and, and still has, um, a lot of retail, you know, um, people, you know, loud and interested in it. Um, secondly, it's had a really tumultuous period, like the stock has undertaken with director shuffling, you know, ramp up woes, um, a whole bunch of stuff which we talked about plenty on the show and the third one is um you know the hint of, of shareholder activism brewing over there and in relation to the agm there was a semi-coordinated attempt to influence the vote there which we, we talked about in a previous episode as well so i listened to it i had a few takeaways um especially listening to the the long q a section that you know there was a bunch of shareholders that rocked up in brisbane in person and asked a lot of questions a common theme amongst the questions was we need more communication from you. Which means they need Investor Hub. <laughs> well, isn't that just a logical thing to do? You know, there were literally two separate occasions where this was explicitly asked of the company. Let's listen to a snip. Reproduction, we didn't have any kind of news or even when you became an interim CEO, but still, we couldn't hear your voice in public. So many investors just said worrying about it. And then also uh, like a Facebook or, you know, Hakapa or even like a tweet in you know, the Twitter, so many people are just questioning, but we couldn't hear any answer. So I don't think it's hard to hire any person like an uh, investor relation you know, officer. And if someone can monitor all the you know, SNS, whatever, and then when investors are worrying about some issues, then you can make it clear. Sure. And then you can get more trust. Maybe some, you know, because now they are just to check the stock price and that was a 6.3 cents. It's shocking. I think there's so many investors are bleeding and it's too much to endure. So if you can just say, you know, just make it clear and open. Or even today, many people just are expecting uh, mobile and DFS, but it was late. So that happened so many times this year. Yeah. If you give any letter, any like inform, you know, oh, this is an issue. So that's why it's a delayed. Maybe most of your investors can understand. But nothing has changed so many, like two, three years. I think this is a big theme right now. Shareholders are peeved watching the share price of their investments languish and they're voting based on, you know, the, the languishing share price rather, rather than, um, rather than, you know, much else that's really informing the way they vote. And they're, they're, you know, literally rocking up at AGMs and, and voting, which is wicked. Um, and you spoke about investor hub 
Matty, you plugged him at the top of the show. And I ob- plugged him just saying because I didn't see this big yeah. coming up. Sorry, <laughs> I was just too excited. Obviously, they're a new sponsor of money in mind. I think shareholders, you know, giving shareholders the tools to get answers to their questions is a huge part of the solution. I think the other part of it, you know, is companies need to be wanting to be as transparent as possible with their shareholder base. Super, super, super important. Be transparent. They love it. They just, they just want the truth. Yep. They want they want openness. Hundred percent. They just want to have a yarn. Like me, JD. Love having, <laughs> love having a yarn. Speaking of yarns, mate, uh Lion Town. Yeah, let's round out with a, a quick one on Lion Town. Not a massive announcement, but they've posted up to the market that they secured an access agreement with the uh Midwest Ports Authority. We've spoken about them a bit in the past, so they uh control the port of Geraldton. So the spodumene concentrate from Kathleen Valley is going to get trucked out and it's going to be exported via the port of Geraldton to their offtake partners in LG Energy, Tesla and Ford. So they sort of phrase this as the final link in securing Liontown's supply chain for lithium export. So they've got to deal with Cube Logistics. They're the ones who are going to truck the con from Kathleen Valley to the port. Now all they need to do is get Kathleen Valley up and running. Oh, I went to the AGM the other day, Liontown. Yeah. Jesus Christ, it ain't your... um. 10 people that rocked up to the Spartan one. There was bloody, <laughs> God, there would have been 100 odd in there. It's huge. And the Big word line. was that uh, none of them know what Gina wants to do with her steak. That was, yeah, there were uh, there was some specific questions about is Gina demanding a board seat? Is she? And the response from uh, Mr. Ottaviano Ottav- was uh, pretty much they've had, she's given no indication that she wants to be on the board. And it, it just sounded like, they don't even know what Gina's is up to. She's not given any indication of what her stake means. Um, uh, before other- you go further, I went down an absolute rabbit hole about Gina on the weekend. I got like into the weeds, going through the history of when she um, raided, you know, the media companies, uh, Nine Fairfax, and was sort of demanding raided, board representation, raided ownership. Yeah, 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 yeah like yeah, yeah. Not not uh, rocked up and just didn't didn't raid <laughs> <rate>, the office. <laughs> yeah, let's, the let's clear that uh, up. Yeah, she bit up like you know big stakes, like I think nineteen odd percent uh, stakes at some stage, and then um, demanded like three people to go on the board and all this sort of stuff. I, I, I'll come back to my Gina theories later, but um, yeah, I'm, mm. I'm I'm trying to learn as much about Gina as I can. Very very interesting. Yeah, no, it was what else was the. Yeah, the Lion Town thing. It was he, he presents very well, big Tony Avtaviano. He's uh, a very good question answer. But he, um, you know, an interesting thing when Tim Goyd was speaking, he had these like he was, he was obviously reading off a like a pre-prepared thing, and there were these two transparent tabs in front of him that looked transparent to us, but they obviously had a script on the other side and there was one to the left, one to the right. So they they looked there and then looked that way. It looks like they're talking to the crowd, but they're actually reading off a script, I think. Yeah, that's what what politicians use. And then then Tony rocks up at the end and he's like, just does this. He's (laughs) like, put them down. I don't need them. Thanks very much. (laughs) I've said, you remember the old thing? Yeah, nah. The old, <laughs> the sign. Yeah, nah. The last question I had about that one, Matty, was there was there any frustration with share price performance from the the pulling back of the Albemarle bid? Nah, not not in not in the questioning. No, and the, and the people, a lot of people are, and some of the questions are actually like they every question led out with very one person was like very proud to be a shareholder of this company. So there was like a. There's a, there was a following there and like a lot of people I talked to in there actually either 
didn't sell into the three dollars or didn't sell much. Um, so there's a there's a bit of belief and following for the company. So that was yeah, there wasn't there wasn't any angst or anything. And I, and I think they, I think shareholders understand. It's like Line Town. What could have they done? Like album Albemarle's pulled out. Gina's taken this stake. Like Line besides. Yeah, taking one of the earlier offers, which would have probably transpired in the exact same result it did. I think they understand that Lion Town couldn't really do anything. So, um, no, well, not, they, not any angst. They could have been a bit cleverer with the um, the structure of the deal. Like, mm. in, as you saw, happen with Azula later. Who learnt all that from the Lion yeah, Town? Yeah, deal. exactly, <laughs> exactly. But you know, if you have a binding scheme, um, and I mean, they had the dual structure protection, but it makes it a bit, yeah. I, I guess there's there's better protection for. I know. Sure. I think the and the way they they always you know they always find a way to uh, put the silver lining on the clouds. You'd say so. They they said even though lithium prices have gone down seventy five percent, if you just erase this whole crazy period of the Albemarle bids, their share price is still relatively similar to what it was before when lithium prices were significantly higher. So there's always there's a always positive a way. way there's always, always a, way a positive <laughs> way you can find. That's what got all the people working there. Um, yeah, can't wait. I can't wait till they start breaking rocks there. Jeez, that's going to get me excited. Looking forward to covering Lion Town and Bellevue ramp ups. Me too, mate. Love rocks. Awesome, <laughs> right, cheers. Right, uh, thank mate, you, sponsors. Thanks to, thanks to bloody first off at the top of the show, Investor Hub, our new partner. Bloody thanks for coming on yep. board, lads. Love your work. Um, DSI I Underground. Women, I think there's some women that work there too, so people. Um, <laughs> uh, what is DSI Underground, JD? Nothing like a good bit of ground support. Uh, Terra Capital, McMahon Mining Title Services, MMTS, Future Proof Consulting, Anytime Exploration Services, KCA Site Services, and Brooks Airways, and Catrill. And great to catch up with them all last week at the bloody sponsor drinks. Love it. Sure was. Hooteroo. Hooteroo. The information contained in this episode of Money of Mine is of general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular person. Before making any investment decision, you should consult with your financial advisor and consider how appropriate the advice is to your objectives, financial situation and needs.